Our second scripture reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you. We thank you even in those moments when we hear the instruction not to worry, for we know that we worry. There are times, oh God, when we can feel the weight of the world pressing on every cell in our bodies. We thank you in these moments for the reminder not to worry, for the challenge not to worry, for the gift of learning not to worry. Now may you put into my mouth the words you would have me speak and take from my mouth those you would not. Amen. What a text for this week. Both of them. Both of them. So powerful. Speaking toward these moments of uncertainty. You almost have to laugh at Paul's words this morning, at the beauty of the lectionary that lines up in just such a way where we're reading about that anxiety that comes up when we are in the wilderness. And we are given this invitation by Paul not to worry about what's going on. Not to worry about what's going on. We are in the wilderness and do not worry. How many of you this week, if someone were to say don't worry, maybe this year, maybe this last few years, could merely laugh in response. How could we not worry? How on earth can you be a living, 
breathing human being on the planet at this time and not worry, not even be filled with worry. I think one of the most potent things that has come up this week as we see the tensions again rise between Israel and Palestine is the way in which it hits on a nerve so deep for all of us. When you start talking about turmoil in this part of the world, there is a sense of anxiety that you can feel rising, a sense of tension that you can feel. And you hear differing voices yelling and screaming and fighting and scared and afraid. The world is one big trauma response. We do not know how to deal with all of the millennia of pain and suffering that comes to the surface in moments like these. So we fight and we scream and we buckle down. We batten the hatches. We increase our reasons to distrust everyone. Do not worry. Do not worry. I heard someone speak in the last week, and I've been listening to a lot of voices on different sides of the conversation, but I heard someone speak specifically, and I don't remember if this was an Israeli voice or a Palestinian voice, but who said, the reason that this turmoil hits so strongly for us is that we realize, or we forget so often that we are all both Israel and Palestine in this moment that these two groups of people are cousins, that any of us who profess Abraham somewhere in our faith are connected to this story intimately. Not to mention all of the anxiety that we know about what happens for the larger world when this particular part of the world sees a rise in turmoil, where we may be able to say this terrible thing is happening millions of miles away or thousands of miles away. There's a way in which everything is together right in this location that causes an increased level of anxiety for all of us. Do not worry. And yet, I firmly believe that we are to take Paul quite literally here. And that's not something I would say a lot. That's actually something I would say a lot, but I think we can dig into Paul and understand Paul and nuance for sure. But Paul in these moments is very practical. It's those moments sometimes Paul will spend a lot of time on the nuance and the minutia of day-to-day life, and then other times when he will plunge deep down into the spirit. And this is one of those texts where you have both, where I literally think he is telling us, don't worry. Don't worry. And what I love about the story of Moses and Aaron, his brother here, and really what we're getting is first Aaron and the Hebrew people as they have fled and they are in the wilderness. Because Moses has been up on that mountain for a long time. For a long time. Sometimes as we're reading it, I think we forget or miss the way in which Scripture can lengthen out these moments sometimes, and also really condense moments otherwise. But Moses has been up on that mountain for a minute. And by minute, I mean not a minute. I mean a lot of minutes. Moses has been up there for a while. The people are scared. They are confused. They have only known oppression in their lives as well. So they are learning how to adjust 
to the freedom of this new world, which honestly is, feels a lot less free than they had experienced before, when at least they could be fed, they had food, they, and they've said this multiple times. Why did you take us out here only to bring us such misery? And so they do the thing that they do, that Jim did exactly. Jim, I loved your sermon this morning. Thank you for that. Because they do the thing that we so often do when we're in the wilderness and when things make no sense, right? They resorted to scarcity thinking. They went back to what they knew. They took these material possessions that they had. They said, we're going to take these things that we have made, we're going to melt them down, and we're going to worship them. Now, I want to point to God's anger in this moment because there's something I picked up on throughout Scripture. And one thing that makes God angry is when you usurp God's power and say that you have done something that God was actually the one who did. And there's this sentence in there that, Bill, you kind of caught yourself on. You said, I'm not sure why that. But when they point to this calf, And they say to the golden calf, you let us out of Israel. You let us out. So they take this thing that they've made and they say, this is the way that we have found our freedom. You have let us out of this bondage and this enslavement. And if there is one thing that really upsets God, it is inauthentic worship. But another thing that really upsets God here is when you take those things which you have made as created and you say that those things are actually God. Because the reality is that we are collectively all part of manifestations of the divine here. But we miss that when we take these things that we have made and we worship them instead. Because we miss that we are just as much as part of all of the rest of it as all the rest of it is. Does that make sense? I don't know if that actually makes sense as I say it out loud. The point is that the Israelites, when they hit this point, when the Hebrew people rather hit this point, they go into scarcity thinking. They lean back on their money. This would be the equivalent to us saying that our money is what has gotten us this far. Our money has given us this freedom. Our money has brought us these things. When in reality, it is not that. It is the Spirit of God which has been moving all along. The trick is to learn how to trust that. Now, when the Hebrews don't trust that, there is a response in that none of those people of that generation are able to actually make it into the promised land. This is the reason that Moses dies just before going into the promised land, because of their response here. They have to clear that energy out. They have to get right. They have to get to a place where they learn that God really will continue to provide for them. When we say the Lord's Prayer every week, We pray for daily bread. We do not pray for long-term investments, which can be really uncomfortable. But the thing is, is that what I am finding is that as I learn more and more to trust in daily bread, I learn to trust the abundance of daily bread. 
I learned to trust that I really am provided for, that we really are provided for. Earlier this week, Jennifer and I met, and she was talking about the foundation that supports this congregation, that has been supporting this congregation for a long time, investments that were made a long time ago that have been upheld and continued. And Jennifer was telling me that the foundation is at the same place it was when you hired Joel. And she talked about all of those conversations that you've had over the years about pulling from the foundation, adding to all of this anxiety that had been there at different conversations. And y'all are all nodding. You're like, yes, I know. And even if you haven't been part of Westminster, chances are good if you've been part of a church, you're familiar with these conversations. And what was funny in the conversation was that Jen was like, we're exactly where we were then. All that anxiety. And we're right here. Turns out we've been taken care of the whole time. It turns out you're being taken care of this whole time. That doesn't mean that things might not change. The Israelites were still in the wilderness. Paul is still talking to an early church that is trying to figure out how to live into this new message of love and reconciliation that Jesus so beautifully embodied and then imparted upon all of them with the Holy Spirit. They're trying to learn in how to live into this new way of understanding who they are individually and together. So Paul gives them some tools for that. He says, focus on what you know to be good, on what you know to connect you with the divine, on what you know to connect you with one another, those things which bring out the best parts of who you are. Focus on those things. Focus on the things that draw you close, that draw you near to one another and to God. And that's probably going to look different. That's probably going to look different than what you've known before. Because the reality is that the world is completely divided right now. We're learning how to be more together. But the world is completely divided in part because the ways that we've been taught how to do things have led us to be completely divided. So we don't need to actually do those same things now in order to learn how to come together. Does that make sense? We're going to have to find new ways to engage one another that often means more vulnerable ways of engaging one another. Because it's scary to say, I'm scared. It's scary to say, I'm worried. It's scary to say, I'm uncertain, I feel alone, I feel lost. But I gotta tell you that on the other side of that scary is the beautiful thing that happens when you honor the truth of where you are. When you say, I'm scared. When you say, I'm confused. When you say, I'm lost especially when you say that to other people, because then you get the experience of them saying back, you know what, so am I. I'm also confused. I'm also lost. Do you think we could just share space together? Do you think we could share a meal together? And then you get to see that we are all here together. And you get to see the different parts of the body showing up beautifully. So you get to see how somebody has these gifts and resources, and that's exactly the thing that we needed right now. And then so-and-so, but you can't get there without moving through. 
And right now, we are being invited to move through this very murky, uncertain time. So we focus on what's good. We do not necessarily focus on the way that we've always done it. I think we look at the way that we've always done it with a willingness to say, is this serving our love of God, our love of self, and our love of one another? And if the answer is no, then we are willing to say, let's no longer do that. Because then as we free up space, as we get into that mindset of imagining, we start to realize that we really do have some ideas about what we want and what we need. But we got to clear out some of the clutter first. We got to clear out some of that scarcity thinking so that we can recognize the abundance of the daily bread that is already here. There's one image that I'd like to leave you with as, we, as I close today. And this is one that's continued to come back to me. And it's something that I've, I was actually writing an article earlier this week for Call to Worship, which is a Presbyterian publication that goes out. And I was kind of writing about this. And it's, it's a thing that I want to sort of hold as a way to sort of move through this time. And it actually goes back to, um, to the, the passage in Matthew chapter 18, which I'm going to tell you about briefly. I, I really am landing, don't worry. But when Peter declares Jesus is the Christ... Now, a couple of chapters before Peter tried to walk on water, he got doubtful, right? He slipped. So it's clear that he's not quite there yet. And so then in two chapters, Jesus feeds more people. Jesus heals more people. Jesus has arguments with the religious establishment. Jesus defies boundaries. He goes to see the Canaanite woman. This is a huge two chapters. And at the end of this two chapters, Peter says, I get it. I understand you are the Christ. And by the Christ, I understand this Messiah, this transformational energy, this presence of God within and among us is here. And what does it look like? It looks like feeding people. It looks like healing people. It looks like breaking bread with one another. It looks like transgressing those boundaries that society has told us define who we are. He says, I get it. It also says, be very leery of the religious establishment. Jesus is like, yes, Peter, you see, you get it. This is the way. And with that moment, there is a seed planted. That moment is the start of the church that Jesus called us to establish. And it starts to grow. It starts to grow throughout the early church. Jesus is then, we go through Easter, we go through the resurrection. That plant continues to grow. At Pentecost, everybody gets the spirit of understanding. That plant continues to grow. Are you with me so far? The early church is starting. People are sharing meals together. They're breaking bread together. Small communities join together. Those who have more are caring for those who have less. Those and everyone is provided for. They are learning the abundance of daily bread, right? This grows and grows and grows and grows. And then a few hundred years in, they say, hold up, hold up. This is too wily. We need to make sense of it. We need to define it. We need to make sense of it. And so at that point, they lay a foundation. And that's the foundation of our church, the institution as we know it. And they lay the foundation over that plant. But the thing is, that plant is resilient. That plant is wily. That plant cannot be contained. And so over time, that plant continues to break through, 
continues to move. People continue to experience the abundance of God even in this concrete institution. And that plant will break through, so then we lay another layer of concrete down. You have different reformations, different breaking through. And so I think what we're experiencing right now is this point where after 2,000 years, this plant is like, I'm done. I am breaking through these foundations. I am here. I am alive. I am strong enough to see that the spirit of the living God is here that is not in these foundations. This is an easier way for me to look at the way the world is happening right now because the reality is that the foundations are all crumbling. We know this. We can see this. It is a scary, scary time in the world when you only look at those foundations. I believe that right now we are being invited to focus all of our energy on that plant, on that growth of the living, breathing body of Christ in the world. I think even more we are being invited to see that we are that plant. Can you believe that you have within you the beauty and the glory of the living God? Can you believe that we collectively have within us the capacity and the power to truly transform this world? Do we believe that God will continue, continue to provide our daily bread? Why on earth would God change course now? Because God has been providing all along. Amen.